Hey, what's up, guys? This is Pastor Austin from Good Shepherd Church, and this is our podcast. So happy you're tuning in this week to stay caught up on what the Lord's doing in us and through us. I hope this content encourages you. I hope it challenges you, builds up your love for Jesus. Hope you enjoy the message. We love you. Good morning, church. How are we? Good. Hey, uh, let me just say on behalf of everyone here at the church, happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. Dads, we love you. And uh, I, think it's, I think it's funny. I saw some things just online this week, how churches, what we like to do is we love to, we love to say like, oh, mom's Mother's Day. It's so sweet. We love you and encourage you. And then on dad, Father's Day, we're like, hey, listen, shape up, dads. You know what I mean? Like that's kind of the church's tone a lot of times with Father's Day. And, and I'll, let me just say, I think the text does a lot of that for us today, just for all of us is going to kind of take us in a little bit. And so let me just, I'll say the encouraging word to you, dads, um, right on the front end here. I just want you to know that what you, what you do, it matters significantly. I think all the data, all the stats, what we see in scripture would reveal to us that, that dads who lean in and press in to their faith and to the things of Jesus, uh, you will see that, you will see that come alive in your household. And so my encouragement is that, that it might be hard, you might be weary, you might be tired, uh, but as we cling to Jesus, uh, so our household comes to life. Amen. And so let's just continue to press in and let's love our dads well today. Um, we're going to continue on reading through Colossians. We're going to be in chapter three today. And I've asked if Owen Shattuck would come on and read for us. So uh, it's been our pattern. And what we're going to continue to do is that we would stand and honor the reading of God's word. And so, oh, and he's going to have Sarah, his daughter, come with us. Would you guys just come on right up here so we can kind of see and everything. You guys can go ahead and stand as we read this together. Colossians 3, 1 through 11. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, two, in these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. You can go ahead and grab your seats. Thanks, Sarah, for coming up, too. That was awesome. All right. So are we good? Y'all seem a little quiet. Could you just, if you do nothing else for me for Father's Day, could you just give me a little life today? Give me a little smiles. Give me some enthusiasm. Come on, yeah. But not just, don't use it all right now. Let's, let's use it the rest of this 40 minutes, okay? Um, this, is, this is really an exciting passage of the scripture that we're going to be in today. This is, this is kind of the moment where Paul does what he often does, where he's, he's taken us from this theological stance if you remember the first couple messages, he's, he's magnifying the image of who God is in our hearts and in our minds. 
So he's creating this big, big picture of Jesus. And that's, I love that. That's the main way that he confronts what's going on that's false, what's going on that's bad thinking in the Colossian church is he makes a big deal about Jesus. He doesn't necessarily micromanage this, like this false teaching, but instead he just says, get your mind on him. Look at what he is. Continue to walk, root yourself in his salvation, his truth. And what that'll do is that will, that will hold you steady through whatever would come in your life. And so now what Paul does after he's made this kind of big theological argument for who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, he now pivots it to talk about how that like implicates our life. He takes it from theology, this kind of like headspace that we're in, and now he moves it into practice, how we ought to live and how we ought to behave. And so what, what this passage really is today, what we're going to be walking through, we're just going to walk straight through it today, is, is what it means to be a Christian, honestly. I don't know what it means in your mind when you think of a Christian, you think of where, where you show up on Sunday mornings, you think of the kind of behaviors that you have in your life or, or that somebody else would have in their life. The, maybe the language that people use, you think like, oh, well, Christians, you know, they talk like that. They do these things. They pray. They read their Bibles. Uh, but really what Paul's going to show us today is what it means to be a Christian is, is to continually live your life in pursuit of Jesus. That's just, that's what it means. That's, that's why we're here. And, and in that pursuit of living like Jesus, becoming like Jesus, that process, the big word, if you want a big word, is called sanctification. This like slow process over the course of our life, after we've given our life to him, where we just little by little, little by little, one degree at a time, get transformed into his image. And that process, sanctification, it, it works on two planes or, or on two feet. If, we're, if this is a walk that we're doing, if we're walking in Christ, the two feet that we continue to walk in are, are putting to death what's earthly in us, and then putting on the life of Christ. Again, if you want big words, it's vivification, putting on the life of Christ, and mortification, putting to death the sin, the flesh, the earthly side that's still in us. I just love giving big words because I remember my high school, um, it was my high school civics teacher was like, listen, if you just sprinkle in enough big words, it doesn't matter how smart you are, people will think you're smart. <laughs> so just there, those are free. You can write those down, sanctification, vivification, mortification, and just sprinkle those into like everyday conversation and be like, wow, you're really smart. And you'd be like, thank you. Um, anyways, I don't know where that really came from, but this, it's, it's encouraging to me because I think that the offer, the offer for all of us over these next two weeks, as we today look at putting to death what is fleshly in us, sorry, dads, that's the one we get on Father's Day. That's just where it landed on the calendar. I didn't pick this one. It's just where we were going through Colossians. But now we get to focus on putting to death what is earthly in us. And the next week we're going to be talking about putting on the life of Christ. And it's this important two-step process that without those two things, we really can't walk in Jesus. We can't. Our faith is stagnant. Our faith is maybe uh, non-existent if we aren't walking in these two things of putting to death the former way of life and putting on this renewed way of living. And so like, I want you just to turn Colossians 3 verse 1, and we're just going to kind of jump right into it here. Paul says, if then you have been raised with Christ, I, I want to ask three questions as we walk through these 11 verses today. And the first one is that right there. Have you been raised with Christ? Because if you, if you have, then what we're about to embark on over the next two weeks is, is yours to participate in. But if you have not been raised with Christ, what the next two weeks is going to do to you is it's going to create a lot of pressure to externally behave a certain way but you're not going to actually be, be empowered by the inward transformation or the inward resolve that you're going to need to live out the outward manifestation that these next two weeks are going to ask of us. So, so I just, the, the, the question, I, want, I hope you come this week, next week, if you're not walking with Jesus, if you haven't given your life to him, 
And the, the invitation is, have you been raised with Christ? Do you want to? Do you want to experience that? Because again, it's going to be impossible. But for, for most of us, like I know most of us, most of us have said, yes, I've, I've given my life to Jesus. I've confessed that, that he is my Lord and my Savior. And in that moment, you were saved. You were walking in salvation, which means your passport to heaven was stamped. You were going there. If you were to die tomorrow, you'd be going to heaven. But the neglect of a lot of Christians is to neglect this process with some intensity or with some reality in their life. And so we miss this abundant life at times, I think, that Jesus is calling us into. If we neglect to do these two things, uh, we might get by. We might, we might just exist for a little while. But, but like our witness isn't going to be as good as it could be as the church. The, the, the abundant life that's offered to us in Christ is not going to be a reality in our hearts. It's going to be something maybe intellectually we understand, but it's not going to be real in us unless we press into these things. So the first question, have you been raised with Christ? If you have, seek the things that are above. Love the things that are above. This first phrase uh, points to our hearts. Does your heart's affection, does your heart's desire think of heaven first or does it think of culture first? If we then belong to Christ, if we have been raised with Christ, our, our, our heart needs now to be oriented around the things of heaven, not necessarily around the things of earth. So the way I see my money, the way I see my time, the way I see my relationships, all of that, I need to ask myself, is this heaven down or is this culture up? Do you see that? If I've been raised with Christ, I'm now going to seek, I'm going to pursue, I'm going to set my heart's affection. I'm going to get around things that stir up my affection, stir up my love for Jesus and the things of heaven that not necessarily the things that, that rob me of that affection for Jesus and place my heart, place my love in the things of earth. All of the things of earth are fading away. Jesus is the only thing that is going to last for forever with us. Like he is the one that we need to be pursuing. He is the one we need to be pursuing. It says, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. So it's not just our heart that we try and aim towards heaven, but we actually start to think about heaven. We set our mind towards heaven. I love this. Have you ever noticed that, that the things you think about the most, you usually do on accident or you do on purpose? Have you noticed this? So like I have a friend right now who he's, he's like just, he's focused, he's determined, he's set his mind on losing some weight. And man, so he's like, like everything he does, he's, he's, he's tracking his calories, he's tracking how many steps he's getting, he's tracking how much output or exercise he's getting, and he's setting his mind towards losing some weight. And he's losing weight. It's awesome. I also noticed that like you can accidentally do the things that you're setting your mind to. Like I, I, uh, I try really hard to not be a loud person in the mornings. Like, so, like a few mornings a week, I wake up pretty early. And, and like this morning, absolute miracle. Like I sneeze seven times in the four o'clock hour. And it's just like the pollen, the pollen is trying to kill me these days, you guys. You can, you can pray for me. But it's like, as hard as I try to not be a loud person in the mornings, it's like the more that I'm thinking about it, the more I just accidentally am loud. Does anyone else feel this way? Like, I'm like, don't drop the coffee pot. Don't drop the coffee pot. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, I just dropped the coffee pot. Like what? That never happens unless I'm like thinking about it. And so I'm just, the things that you think about, you do. If I'm thinking about, man, what would, what would it be like in heaven right now? Would this person be homeless? No, they wouldn't. How can I participate in bringing heaven down in this moment? Would this person be lonely in heaven? No, we're going to exist in perfect community with God and with each other in heaven. That loneliness would not exist. How can I draw near to that person? How can I make sure they don't feel lonely? 
would the, like, if you just kind of evaluate all the situations in your life, all of a sudden, because my mind is set on heaven, because I'm thinking about what is the culture of heaven look like and how can I bring that down to earth? Now, all of a sudden I start doing it, whether it's on accident or on purpose. I have this, I have this friend at the gym and he's not a Christian. He's not a believer. And uh, every time he sees me, he's like, man, you know what? You have like, you have such a joy in your heart. You and all the people that you're with all the time, you guys have such joy in your heart. Like what's different about you? Like, listen, I, I was, I never intentionally, like not at first, at least, I wasn't like, how can I make this guy love Jesus? That wasn't my intentional thought, but it accidentally did happen because I just walk around setting my mind on heaven. Do you know what I mean? And so because I'm setting my mind on heaven, like he sees me and he somehow he's like seeing some of Jesus in me. And that this is what it looks like. This is the opportunity that we have as Christians to just set our mind. Like, I'm not going to love things like the world loves things. I'm not going to treat money like just this next thing it is to get ahead or just to keep leveling up my life. I'm going to see my, I'm going to see my money and I'm going to give my heart to money. I'm going to give my mind to money only through the lens of heaven down, not culture up. And so I'm setting my mind, I'm setting my heart on the things of heaven. For I have died, verses four and five, or I'm sorry, three and four. For I have died and my life is now hidden with Christ in God. Again, we can't do this unless we have given our life to Jesus. If we don't give our life to Jesus, what's going to happen is you're just going to have a lot of pressure, probably from yourself, maybe from the people around you, to just behave a little different. And that's not what this is. That's not what this is. It's saying, no, my, my will, what I wanted for my life has died. And, and I've given that over to Jesus. And in that humility of surrendering my life to him, he has now resurrected me. And he's created a new heart in me. He's created a new identity for me. And so now like I live, but it's more, it's more Christ reigning in me than it is me living and trying to seek my own will for my life. I have died and now my life is hidden, caught up or tucked into Christ, God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So what this points us to is it points us towards the future when Jesus is coming back. And all of us as Christians should know, Jesus is coming back. Amen? Amen. Now is the time to be prepared. Now is the time to be preparing our hearts for that day when he comes back. And the way that we prepare is how we're going to get into this now is by putting to death what is earthly in us and putting on the life in Christ. That's how we prepare. That's how the church, that's how the bride gets herself ready for Christ's return. And, and, and this is what I just, like at this moment, what I want you to grasp is we don't know how much more time we have to prepare. We don't know how long that season's gonna be. It might be 10 lifetimes from now. It might be 10 minutes from now. We don't know. Now is the time to prepare. Now is the time to take these commands seriously. So Paul goes on to write, uh, starting in three, verse five. I was gonna say this a little earlier in the sermon. Um, obviously you, like we were all in here when we stood up and Owen and Sarah read the text and Owen, you know, had this like, nice move where he had him reading that, the nice part ahead, or I'm sorry, Sarah reading the nice part ahead, his daughter, and then Owen read the part about all the sexual immorality. Um, so y'all saw it. Y'all know it's there. If you have kids in the room, especially in second service, we have a lot of kids that gather and worship with us, which is awesome. Uh, but we're going to unpack some of this. And if you want your kids in children's ministry, now's your time to make your move. All right. You can get on in there and then get on back. We're not going to be any more graphic than the Bible is, I promise. Um, but he says, put to death, therefore. So the therefore, put to death, therefore. Remember the first question, if you have been raised with Christ, what do we then need to do? We need to put to death what is earthly in us. Uh, Paul, Paul really couldn't have used any stronger language here towards sin. 
the, the, it would be better rendered maybe to make dead, make it dead or murder the sin in you. One, one commentary that I read said, slay utterly the sin that is in your heart. How awesome is that? Should have brought like this big old sword up here with me. Just been like, slay utterly. You know what I mean? Like put it to death. And, and so the question here in the second part of the sermon is, is what's, what's your attitude towards sin that's in your own life? Is it, are you tolerance of it? Do you just kind of go like, well, you know, it's kind of the things that I struggle with, you know, it's just, it's just me. Or do you try and control it? Do you try and say, oh, well, you know, it's only this much. It's only affecting this many people, me, whatever. Do you try and control, like, I'm just going to keep it in this little box. Is that our attitude towards sin? Do we try and conceal it? Do we try and keep it all to ourselves, being, being afraid and really being scared that it's going to expose who we really are and that we're going to lose the life, the facade that we've built up around us, so we try and conceal sin? Like, what's our, what's our posture towards sin? Because Paul says, if you have been raised with Christ, put it to death. Don't mess with it. it it's, it's trying to kill you. And he goes on through this list and he breaks these lists down. Really, one is under the banner of sexual immorality and then the other is under this banner of, of positions of our heart or really what comes out of our mouth. And so we're just gonna kind of go through it here. Uh, Colossians 3 verse 5, he says, put to death therefore what is earthly in you, sexual immorality. The Greek word there is porneia. And it just is the banner topic for anything, uh, anything that is sexually immoral outside of the biblical worldview, outside of what God has commanded, which is, which is marriage between a man and a wife. And so anything that exists outside of that. And it'd be really easy in this moment probably to pick on, you know, just what's happening culturally because it's Pride Month. And we could say, yeah, look at how just like awful our culture has gotten when it comes to this topic of sex. And now we're so sexually immoral. And what I want to say is, yeah, yeah, we could focus there, but I'd rather focus on those who have been raised together with Christ. Because here's the scary thing, is that statistics would show, there's a lot of research that has gone into this, that the amount of porn usage, divorce rates, um, they're not as different as you would want them to be inside of the church and outside of the church. And so the charge then is for the believer to put to death the sin that's in me, the most dangerous move that you could make right now is for you to put on ears for somebody else to hear. And you start listening to this sermon and you go, well, well, yeah, they really need to hear that. No, no, like, listen to me. This is, where, this, is, this is for us. This is for each of us to go, okay, God, what is it that exists in me that needs to be put to death? Any sexual immorality, impurity. Impurity would mean that like you, if you are not married yet, like your, your chastity belongs to Jesus. You are to remain pure to him. And if you are married now, then you're, you are to remain pure with your wife. This idea of, of two metals, right? Like if you're going to refine silver, refine gold, you want to get it down so that it's pure gold. And if you've been married, your husband and a wife, the two have become one flesh, one element, one substance. And so to bring anything else into your marriage bed would be impure, to bring anything else into your heart, any love or any lust that exists in your heart as a single person, uh, that, would, that would make you impure. And so we're to put to death the sexual immorality, impurity, passion. Uh, you know, we love, we love passion, especially in America, right? We're like, oh my gosh, I'm so passionate. Uh, don't you just love those teenagers when they're so passionate and so zealous for certain things? Uh, that's not exactly what Paul means here. The, the Greek like word picture that this is trying to paint for passion is someone who's controlled by their stomach. So it's passions or desires that are unchecked by your will. As then I just do these things. I don't, like I, I know the right thing to do. I know the thing that I should do. And I give myself over to these things instead. 
I'm controlled by my feelings. I'm controlled by what I want in a moment. I'm not controlled by this resolve or this, really the spirit in me is not in control. Put it to death. Impurity, passion, evil desires, covetousness. Your, your version might render the word greed, which is idolatry. And so there's some argument whether the, the desire, covetousness, greed, whether those all fit with a different category of sin. But most, most scholars are going to agree that that all fits within the banner of sexual immorality. As in, is, is, your, is your sexual desire, is it all bent around you? Or is it, is it actually considering your spouse, considering your partner? Right? So that, that's something like, are you just greedy when it comes to sex? Is it all about you? Are you coveting? Are you wanting something that you don't have? Are you hearing stories, watching movies, looking at things that cause you to desire something that's outside of your marriage? Because all of that, what Paul encapsulates is idolatry. You're, you're falling in love with something that is not God. You're giving your worship, you're giving your heart, you're giving your affection, giving your devotion over to something other than Jesus. And it's idolatry. And so here, like, you should, you should see your all faces right now. It's like, oh my gosh, is this really what we're doing today? I want to say just a couple things. Like, there, there, is a, there is a sermon coming, it is not in me yet, around purity culture and, the, and the, the damage that it has done to the church and especially to the younger generation in the church and how somehow in our pursuit of purity, we've, we've created this like, uh, we, we motivate kids through shame or we motivate kids through like, they need to be perfect and pure. And, and what, it do, what we've done is we've sort of either like killed desire in, in young men and women we said, no, it's, it's a problem to desire. Uh, sex is bad. Sex is dirty until marriage, right? That's always like, it's until marriage. And so we go bad, 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 bad. And then all of a sudden they get married and it's like, good. And, and the reality is I've talked to several people, enough people in the church, enough kids in youth group to realize that gear shift is one that drops the transmission out of the bottom of your car. You know what I'm saying? Where it's like, no, 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 no. Okay, okay, go. And you're like, oh, how do I, how do I shift through that, right? And so on the flip side of that, though, the, the overreaction from purity culture right now is to make sexual sin not that big of a deal. When in reality, it is a big deal. It is a big deal. And what, what we need to keep in mind is that God, God, God cares about holiness. And sexual sin, like, yes, all sin causes us to fall short of the glory of God. But Paul's also very clear in his letter to the Corinthians that sexual sin does something different to us because it's done against our own bodies. But what we have to keep in mind at the bottom of that conversation around the sermon that's coming one day that I don't have enough time to cover right now is that the primary message around, around sexuality in the Bible is not one around prevention. It's one that's based in redemption. And so hear me right now. Like I, I can only imagine some of you, we read through this list and you feel awful right now. And the point of scripture is that God chose you in the middle of whatever it was that you were in. He was not blindsided, surprised, or disgusted by any of your sins so far that he would move himself away from you. Rather, in every mistake you've ever made, in every moment you've ever got yourself in, every time that you swore you wouldn't do it again and you did it again, Jesus wants to be close to you. He's calling you out of that. And we'll get into more of that later. But that, like, it's something that has just messed up the church. It's messed up our culture. And it's, it is a sin that is serious. We can't take it lightly. And, and what we need to do, and my urge to, to anybody in the room who thinks that you're just playing with sin, you've got it just like at this arm's length here and you're kind of keeping it, you know, right back here and it's fine. Like that sin's desire is to kill you. And so you can't keep it at arm's length. It will devour you. 
More on that in just a sec, but I want to keep moving through because there's another list of sins here. Verse six says, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. We'll circle back to that. And we actually will. Colossians 3, uh, seven through nine says, in these you two once walked. So he's going to give a whole other list of sin, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Don't lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. So let me explain what happens with these two lists right here. We, we love to pretend the first list of sexual sin is varsity sin. And then this list of sin right here, well, this is just, this is okay. Every, everyone's got these. But the urge is to put them all to death, to put them all away, to get out of those clothes, to change into new clothes. That is the, that's the urge that he's having us consider here. Um, James says it this way. He says um, about the tongue, because all of these things are different things that you'd say. Obscene talk, slander, malice, anger, wrath, things that you do out of this boiling over of, of, of your heart. He says, so also the tongue is such a small member. I love this. It's such a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Listen, the words you say, They matter. They matter and they can cut deep and they can build up the choice. Like it's, it's up to you what comes out of your mouth. And so gossip, slander, like things that shouldn't be coming out of my mouth. We ought to guard those things because he says, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. How many of you all thought that about your mouth this morning as you're brushing your teeth? You're just a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. Like James, is, James goes in. Do you know what I'm saying? He doesn't mince words. He doesn't pretend. He's like, listen, your tongue, that thing's evil. Guard your tongue. And he's, he, I love how he ends it this way. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile, I'm sorry, can you go to the next slide? Uh, verses seven through nine, Judy. For every kind of beast and bird of a reptile creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father. Hey, how you doing? Praise God. Love you, church. It's so good to see you. Oh, praise the Lord. Amen. So good. Hallelujah. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. You want to know why gossip is such a big deal? I've said this before, but it's worth saying again, is that when you gossip, when you slander about somebody, you are using your words to contradict or to work against what the Holy Spirit's trying to do in that person. So our words matter. But what he's saying here is that, that from the same mouth come blessing and cursing, my, brother, these, my brothers, these things ought not to be so. And so again, I go back to the first question. Have you been raised with Christ? Because if you haven't been raised with Christ, you're going to try and control your tongue and you can't. You're going to still slip up. You're still going to say things. Gosh, even with the Holy Spirit in me, I still have a hard time controlling my tongue. Amen? Y'all just going to leave me alone today? Y'all have a hard time controlling your tongue. Pretend your tongue is the, the word, the keyboard, right? Like that's, we have a hard time controlling that. We have a hard time the things that we say. And what Jesus, what Paul, I'm sorry, <laughs> what James is saying here is that without the Holy Spirit making a new heart in you, your, your tongue, no matter how hard you try to tame it, is still going to be the same bad spring producing the same bad water over and over and over again. We have to take sin seriously. Uh, this cascading where we say like, oh, well, that sin that culture does is so bad. Um, and, then we, and then we tolerate gossip. 
We say, oh, I'm just an angry person. Like I'm working on it, you know, and we convince ourselves that we're just kind of controlling and we're, and we're just like uh, concealing or hiding this sin in us. And, and the urge from Paul is, is don't mess with it. Don't mess with it. Put it to death. Uh, can we go to the other passage in James, Judy? Um, James 1, 13 through 15. He says, let no one say when he is tempted that I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. Just good to be reminded of. Like God's not testing you and tempting you. He's not putting this temptation in front of you just to see if you're going to fail. Some Christians live with that kind of perspective. Oh, God just put that in front of me just to see if I really loved him. God's not tempting you. He's tempting no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings what? Death. Death. He says it this way. Paul says it this way in the book of Romans. He says, So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So following the flesh is going to lead to death. There is no concealing it. There is no controlling it. There is no keeping it at arm's bay. Sin, when it's full grown, when it, when it has been developed, is going to bring death. And I love John Owen puts it this way. He says, do you mortify? As in, do you put things to death? Do you make it your daily work to put to death the things of the flesh? Be always at it whilst you live. Cease not a day from this work. Love this last line. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. Sin is going to continually try and rob and destroy and put to death the things that God is trying to bring to life in your life. In, to, to life in your life. That's just a reality we need to feel this morning. And so here's where we, uh, here's where we have to really do some careful work, okay? Because it says there in verse six, the, the verse that kind of hinges the sexual immorality and the sins of the mouth and the sins of the heart together is this little phrase that I'm sure you, you were like, oh, how, I don't, I don't know. We're going to talk about that this morning. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Not like I get it. We don't like to talk about wrath anymore in church. Like we don't like, we like to pretend this topic was just like gone in the Old Testament. Right? I think a lot of people, as I talk to them, when we try and reconcile God's love and God's wrath, we really go like, I don't see how these two things could go together. And it's, it is, can it be difficult? Yes. To see how the God of the Old Testament, who just like has events like Sodom and Gomorrah happen, has all these crazy, just like outpourings of his wrath that are so evident. How do we reconcile that with Jesus in the New Testament? And the way that you pull together God's love and God's wrath is through one word, holiness. Holiness. Because what we forget when we remember that God was wrathful at one point, and maybe not at one point, maybe he still is wrathful. We'll get there in just a sec. And then we go, well, God is loving in the New Testament. So hasn't he just changed? No, God is immutable, meaning he cannot change. He cannot change. So somehow these two ideas of who God is have to collide, and they collide with the word holiness. See, God is perfectly holy. He's set apart. He's not like you, and he's not like me. He's never made a mistake. He's perfect, and, and to be in his presence requires perfection. It just does. Because he is so holy, because he is so set apart, and we are so not like him, unless we become holy, we can't be made like him. We can't be with him. And so God's holiness holds together his wrath and his love in this way. Um, because he poured out his wrath on his own son. And this is what you have to grasp is that, that if you are capable of wrath, that means that love has to be present. 
I've used this analogy before, but it's worth repeating. If you came over to my house and you came into my garage and you stole my rake, I had this rake that we got when we were first married um, and it was like eight bucks when we bought it. And if you stole that rake, you ran down my front street, I would watch you run away with that rake and I'd honestly be kind of glad because I kind of want a new rake before fall. (laughs) I wouldn't care. You couldn't incite anything in me. But if you came into my house and you tried to touch my kids, you tried to touch my wife, you tried to harm those things that are most precious to me, you would incite all of the wrath that I'm capable of producing because that wrath is tied directly to my love. And because God loves you, because God wants to be in your presence, the, the, the tainting and, and the stain of your sin has to be dealt with. And so he poured out all of that punishment, poured out all that judgment on his son. See, the wrath of God, it really, it really moves in three different ways as we see it in scripture. There's what, what they'll call the active wrath of God. When you think of like the bowls and revelation being poured out. When you think of Sodom and Gomorrah and other crazy stuff where God's wrath is like evident immediately in scripture. That's one, and, and people will say that still exists today. And I would go, man, the, the fault with that argument that it still is, exists today is going like, you see a hurricane and you're like, man, that's God's wrath on the East Coast. And I'm like, what makes you think the East Coast is any better than the West Coast? Like there's sin everywhere in this world. You know what I'm saying? Like, how are you going to say that God's wrath is being poured out in one thing at a time? The, the second way that we see God's wrath, and this is the way that it still exists and still moves today. And it's, it's honestly, it's much more subtle and it's much more scary. Romans 1, 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. How? Who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them. In other words, everybody sitting in this room, everyone in this city, everyone in this world gets that there is something beyond what we can see with our eyes. Like creation has made it plain to us. Like like we know, we have this deep inner piece of us that knows we were created for more than just living and dying one day and that there is something bigger than us that's out there. But rather than lean into that thought a little bit, we really decide that we kind of like the way that we've been living our life. We like kind of being in charge and being our own God and in char- like and doing the things that we want to do for our life. And so we suppress that reality. That's what Romans reveals to us. That we take the truth about God that's been made plain to us and we suppress it. For what can be known about God is plain to see because God has shown it to them. So is God just in sending people to hell? Yes, he is. Yes, he is. Why? He keeps going to say, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. 21, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanging the glory of an immortal God, of the immortal God, for images resembling mortal men and birds of animals and creeping things. So they fell in love with the created things rather than acknowledging the creator. Therefore, God, in his wrath, gave them up in the lusts of their heart to impurity. Do you want to know what the wrath of God looks like right now? It's God saying, I'm right here. I'm right here. I have a vision for your life. I have a picture for your life. I can save you. I can pull you out of this mess that you've made for yourself. I'm here. I'm available. Uh, can, can I just offer you anything? And people go, I would rather continue on in what I think feels good 
or what I think is right. And God, in his, in his infinite wisdom, in his sovereignty, looks at that person and says, I'm, but I'm here. I'm right here. I can save you. I can save you. Look at everything that I've made. Look at how good I've been to you. And they say, listen, I rather, would rather have your stuff rather than have you. And God goes, okay. If that's the choice that you're going to make, then okay. And this, this, is, this is what the wrath of God looks like. That in his, that in his wisdom... He's revealed himself. He's, make, he, he's not after just robotic people where he just says like, no, you're going to love me and I'm going to make you. But he says, look, look at all this that I've given you. Won't you worship me? Won't you love me? Look at how much I've poured out. And they're like, no, I'd rather do my own way. And he says, okay, okay. He lets them go. John three sixteen, maybe one of our favorite verses, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son to the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Amen? Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. It just, it also keeps going. We should love these verses too. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Amen? But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment This is the judgment. The light has come into the world. Jesus has made himself known. Jesus has made himself available. He's right here. And the people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. John concludes this thought by saying, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. And so God, in in his wisdom, is saying, here I am come in, come to me. I've made a way. And people say no. And he says, okay. But for the believer, for the person who has surrendered their life to Jesus, who's given themselves to him, the wrath of God is no longer pointing to you. This is like, like you you can't say, uh, like I stubbed my toe. And it's like, well, it's because I did this bad thing earlier that day that God, you know, was punishing me for stubbing my toe. Now listen, like there are consequences to sin. Don't get it twisted. So there, there are real consequences of sin. If you want to continue to reap uh, terrible things into your life, then you're probably going to sow some terrible things in your life at some point. If you want to just continue to make bad decisions, you're going to reap bad decisions, but it's not the wrath of God that's on you. The wrath of God for those who put their faith in Jesus has, has been exhausted in the cross, on the cross of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus was God and he wasn't just a man, he, he was able to absorb everything that God poured out to him to the point where when he was done, he said what? It is finished. It, not just it is finished as in like, okay, mission accomplished, job done, went on the cross. No, it is finished as in the wrath of God has been totally forevermore exhausted on Jesus Christ for those who come to faith in him. So this is how we have to reconcile the wrath of God. It still exists. It still exists but not for the believer. Not for the believer. It's not a reality that we live with. What we should think of when we think of the wrath of God, when we think of the sin, and the disobedience, and, the, and we look through that list of sin and we go like, oh man, I have checked off a few of those boxes. We go, thank you, Jesus, for taking that for me on the cross. Thank you for taking that away from me to blot my sin out as far as the east is from the west. That's what Jesus has done with your sin, folks. So now that when God sees you, when he's looking at you, he sees the righteousness that Jesus propitiated, gave to you, credited to your account. 
So he doesn't see your list of sin. He sees Jesus' list of perfection. Praise God. Praise God. Because some of you, some of you have made some terrible decisions. Like, and you know it and you feel it and you feel terrible and you feel gross and you feel like you're in terrible clothes and you feel like you're just dirty and you feel disgusting. And Jesus, what he's offering, he's saying, do you want to change? Do you want to put on my righteousness instead of your own? This is where Paul ends it now. He says in 10 and 11, and you having put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Here's what that, here's what that says. This message, this good news is for everyone. It's for everyone. Greek or Jew, he's speaking to a nationality difference there, an ethnic difference. It doesn't matter if you're black, white, brown, any color in between, tan, fair-skinned, red hair. This is for all of us. It doesn't matter. So circumcised or uncircumcised, it doesn't matter what religious ceremonies you went through when you were a kid. It doesn't matter if you went to the VBS when you were a kid or if not. It doesn't matter if you got baptized. It doesn't matter if you didn't get baptized. The offer's for you. The offer's for you. Do you want to change? Do you want to get out of that, those clothes that you've been wearing? Do you want to get out of that filth that you've been carrying with you for far too long? Because Jesus is offering you new clothes, folks. He's offering you his perfect spotless clothes that you can put on today. Uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian. He's saying, like, hey, it doesn't matter culturally where you kind of fit into this whole equation. It doesn't matter if you came in from kind of backwoods, you came in from super sophisticated and educated. This offers for you. Slave or free. Doesn't matter if you're rich, doesn't matter if you're poor, doesn't matter if you're middle class, somewhere in between. This offers for you. The offer for Jesus is for all of us, folks. And, and so here, here's the charge, and we'll end with this, is that if you have not been raised with Christ, you will try to put to death what is earthly in you, but you will only externally modify behaviors. You'll just kind of tweak up the things that you do. And, and the real problem is your heart. And what Jesus wants to offer you today is, is a new heart, a new way of living, a new life that's going to exist in you. And for all of us that, are, that have already made that decision, we've been raised with Christ, the charge really today is, is, to, is to take sin seriously and put it to death. And, and that, is a, that is a grace-driven effort where when we feel guilty, the Holy Spirit's going to empower us to do something different. And, and, and the ways that we as the church are going to continue to walk through this road of, of sin is, is really through confession and repentance. We're going to confess. Kent and I were having this conversation this week. He was reminding me that confession is not just admitting when you've done something wrong. I think we think of confession as like the Catholic confessional. It's like, well, Father, forgive me for I have sinned. Okay, yes, confession is admitting what you've done wrong. Confession is also agreeing with the truth. God, would you help me? I don't, see, I don't think I can break away from this on my own. God, I'm, I'm helpless without you. God, I can't do this. We confess those needs. We, we get around trusted people that we love and we confess what's been going on, what we've been hiding. And that's a hard step. And you're convinced it's not worth it because you're convinced you can manage your sin. And your sin is going to kill you, folks. That's just the reality. And through confession and repentance, where we literally just say, I, I want to turn around from this. I, I, like I, I was heading this way. I was pursuing this. My mind was set here. My heart was set here. I want my heart and my mind to be set on heaven. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to repent. I'm going to turn my life around and go this way. And man, that can happen if you get some, maybe you get some people in your life again that you say, hey, I was doing this. Make sure you, you get on my phone. You keep me accountable. You make sure I'm not doing anything stupid. 
right? And you get these kind of people in your life, but ultimately what it, what it really takes, what it really, 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 really need deep down in your heart is you need to be convinced of the fact that Jesus and his ways are good and his law leads to life and sin always wants to bring forth death. And if you're convinced of that fact, folks, you will continually, when you make mistakes, you will continually run back to him. I just want, I just want one urge. I, I just woken up, waking up this morning, I was praying and, and I just knew that there were some people that they're gonna find this message just difficult today because they're caught in something. They, can't, they feel like they can't break free for something. And I want you to read Psalm 51. And it's David's just confession to the Lord that he needs him. Create me a clean heart, O God. I'm tired of desiring the things that I've desired. I want your heart for this life. Don't let your Holy Spirit forsake me. I want to continually honor you. Read Psalm 51. If this is you and you're just crippled today, get in that Psalm, understand the story of David, understand the, the gross things that he did and understand that he had this picture that God remind me of the joy of my salvation, that even though I chose this, you chose me. Church, he chose you. He loves you. Don't turn from him when you've made mistakes. He's always calling you, wanting you to come back to him. Let's stand and let's pray. God, I pray that you would stir up our affections for you. I pray that you would just help us to see the beauty that's offered in your gospel. You have laid down your life so that we can be clean, so that we can feel clean, so that we can walk in a clean life. Help guard our tongues, help guard our actions, help guard our minds and our thoughts, help guard our heart and our affections and where we send them, God. Help us to continue to pursue after you. Jesus, we love you. And I pray that you would surround us with good community, good friends, uh, that we can be honest and real with, God. And would you help us uh, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you help us walk in the life that you're offering to us today? And would we put to death what's still earthly in us and would we put on the life that's found in Christ? Jesus, we, we love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.